You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. So far in this series, we have talked about marriages. Uh, We have talked about relationships and siblings and parenting and a little bit of grandparenting and all those things. And uh, today, we're going to complete that series, and I, fortunately, get to be the one that sits across the table from you uh, to conclude this series. And today, uh, we save the best topic for last. I know some of you will agree. Today, we're going to talk about singleness. And so, those of you who are married are going, oh man, really? I don't need to be here. No, 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 that's not true, because there are some things in today that I need you to hear as well. So I I just need to start with a story. You see, years ago, my absolutely, positively favorite uncle calls me up and says, hey, Laurie, I want to take you out to lunch. I'm thinking, sweet. All right, I get a free lunch from my uncle. I get to spend some time with him. It's all good. So my uncle comes, he picks me up, and I jump in a truck. And of course, I'm talking 100 miles an hour. I'm sure you find that hard to believe. I'm sure, yes, I'm sure you're shocked by that. So we're just sitting there, and I'm talking 100 miles an hour, and I'm just catching him up on everything that is going on. We get to the restaurant, we're seated, and our drink orders are given. The waitress walks away, and the conversation begins like this. He says, Laurie... I just want to talk to you about a few things. Exactly. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh. So I immediately start scanning his face. I'm thinking, what's wrong? Oh my gosh, is he sick? Is my aunt sick? Oh my gosh, it's my parents. I know, it's my favorite uncle. There's something wrong with my parents. It's a woman's mind. I'm sorry. This is where we go. We go from joy to morbid in under five seconds. But I'm just thinking, oh my goodness. So my stomach is in knots at this point. And of course, of course, this is when the waitress decides to return with our drinks, right? When does the waitress ever come back that quickly with your drinks? You wait forever for those. So she comes back and I'm like, no, 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 wait. He's trying to tell me something. So she comes, she gets, uh, puts our drinks down. She gives and takes our order. And my uncle gets this real serious look on his face. And he says, Laurie, just want you to know how much I love you and how important you are to me. At this point, I'm thinking, insert throw up on the table because my uncle is never serious. This is my crazy uncle. This is the one who is like ex-Navy, the one that I grew up hearing stories of him having neighborhood brawls and broken bottles and, you know, all that kind of stuff was thrown into it. This is the crazy uncle, not serious uncle. This is the crazy uncle who would come. My parents would invite him to come over and he would take my brothers out in the yard and beat him up a little bit just trying to whip them into shape. So I'm thinking, okay, wow, all right, this is, this, I don't know, this isn't good. So he goes on to say to me, I just want to tell you Laurie, you're going to have a really hard time finding somebody to marry you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm sitting there going, wait, what? Wait, wait, wait. So I'm looking at his face going, he's kidding, right? So I'm looking, I'm scanning his face, I'm looking, I'm waiting for him to break out in laughter. I get nothing, I got crickets. I'm thinking, are you serious? 
Wait, so my favorite uncle is taking me out to lunch to butter me up and tell me he loves me, blah, 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 and all this stuff. And he's taking me out to lunch because he says to me, I think I know that you're going to have a really hard time finding a man that's going to want to marry you. So needless to say, I don't remember much else of the conversation. I do remember something about him saying that I was too independent and and a little overachieving and maybe driven and intimidating and blah, 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 blah. But I will never forget that lunch date. And I can tell you, I remember the table that we were sitting at. It was next to the window. I remember the red and white check tablecloth. I remember the tacky, you know, plastic restaurant cup that your drink comes in. I remember all of that. But you know what? Thankfully, <clears throat> thankfully that restaurant no longer exists. And sadly, um, it mysteriously burnt to the ground. <laughs> Needless to say, that day, my uncle's status was very quickly demoted, uh, no longer a favored uncle, and that day is when my self-esteem and my self-confidence was eulogized and laid to rest as well. So you might be asking me, why are you telling me these stories? I know you have issues, Laurie Lassoon. Why are you telling me these stories? And I tell you these stories because I think that my uncle's conversation seems to reflect what society thinks and feels about singleness. That singleness actually is really just a stepping stone to the ultimate achievement of marriage and that being single somehow makes you less of a person, an unfinished project, an incomplete or half of a whole. I think part of what may contribute to uh, our lack of ability to find value in singleness is our tendency as human beings to compare ourselves with others and compare ourselves to others. And I know social media has, uh, plays a great role in that. I mean, within, within seconds, you can scroll through and see hundreds of people who are living in marital bliss and life is great and all is well. But I just want to say this, if you're a single person who has been made to feel like less than whole because of your own comparison to others or of others, I want you to know today that you as a singular entity are a whole individual. This morning, we're going to take some time to uh, see what we can learn about singleness from the early followers of Jesus and Jesus himself. One of the very first followers of Jesus was a man named Paul, who scholars believe that was either widowed or he was divorced himself. But Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, 7 through 9, he says, I wish you were all like me. He says... I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. See, Paul wasn't feeling like an unfinished project and he certainly wasn't feeling like less than. Actually, if you look at this from Paul's perspective and how this text reads, it's the marrieds that are lacking, 
Because basically what he's saying is that only people who should get married are those who can't handle being single. And this is where I hear the movie clip from Jack Nichols saying, you can't handle the truth, running in the back of my head. All right, so all joking aside, let's take a look at some of the stats. Based on the statistics of the 2013 U.S. Census, take a look at this. There are 105 million unmarried people in the U.S. 53% of those were women. 62% of unmarried people have never been married. 24% were divorced. 14% were widowed. There are 18 million unmarried residents 65 years of age and older. There are 87 unmarried men to every 100 women. 57 households are maintained by unmarried men and women, and 34 million people lived alone in 2013. So what does all that mean? Well, what we do know is that everyone in this room has been single at one time, we know that there is a likelihood that for those of you who are married, that someday you will be single again for one reason or another. These stats tell us that some of you in this room are currently single. Many of you have found yourselves single again. Several of you are trying to heal from the divorce. Some of you are grieving the loss of a spouse. And I know many in this room are heading up single parent households. Singleness is well represented in society and it's well represented here in the church. The Bible has a lot to say about relationships that stretch us and never once does it say that being single is less than or lacking, quite the contrary. So we are created as whole individuals. We are not created half a person in need of another human being to complete us. Because you see, single is not half of a whole. The word whole can be described as a thing that can be complete in itself, meaning a single person is whole or complete in themselves. God said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, one of the Old Testament prophets, he said, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. See, God knew each of us before we were even formed. And he created all of us to be whole and with a purpose. Later in scripture, Jesus reminds us of our value in Matthew 10, 29 through 31. He reminds us that every hair on our head is numbered and accounted for. So to the single people in the room who are listening, there's three things that I hope that you take away from today. First, is that you are not half of a whole. Second, that you are valued by God. And third, that marriage will not complete you. You see, a change in marital status doesn't guarantee a change in happiness, nor does it bring contentment, nor does it complete you. Ask someone who married who was thinking that that was going to be the end all be all and make them happy and complete them only to have that marriage end in divorce. 
Let's debunk, if you would please, just a few of the marriage myths, can we? First is that marriage will make you happy. And can I just say that if you are not happy as a single, what makes you think that marriage is going to make you happy? And marriage is not going to solve all of your problems. You see, actually, if you think about it this way, those problems become double. Why? Because you bring two selfish, sinful human beings dragging along a duffel bag of drama into the relationship. Don't think that marriage will bring you closer to God because quite the contrary, it distracts you. Don't think that marriage will make you a better person because see, if if you're selfish and immature now, uh, marrying somebody is definitely not gonna change that. (laughs) And that just makes us have to pray for the person that you want to marry. And also, do not think, please do not think that marriage will fulfill all of your dreams. And I just have to clarify this. I hear this, uh, I hear this said to single people all the time, like, wait, you know, when that man or that woman of your dreams comes into your life, there's nothing like it. It's the most incredible thing ever. Can I just say this? Let me just clarify this to all the singles out there. There is no such thing as a man or a woman of your dreams because really the only difference between dreams and nightmares are the background music in the movie clip, okay? (laughs) All right, I feel better now. Thanks for letting me get that out. I appreciate that. But to the marriage who are listening, I need to say this. If you are here and you're married or if you're listening and you're married and you're expecting your spouse to meet all of your needs, everyone, and to complete you. Can I ask you right now, let them off the hook. Let them off the hook. Because you see, it is impossible for another innately flawed human being to complete you. Compliment you, maybe, but never to complete you. You see, the only one that completes us is Jesus. And the only way that that happens is if we invite him into our lives. So single is not half of a whole. Paul knew that. In 1 Corinthians 7, 7, he was offering himself as an example of wholeness and singleness. He says again, I wish that all of you were as I am. What the Apostle Paul was saying was singleness is in no way, shape, or form unfinished business. Instead, he is saying in verse 7 that he is single and he wishes that all were single like he was. You see, Paul viewed singleness as wholeness and considered being single as having many advantages. Paul begins to rattle off those advantages of singleness in uh, 1 Corinthians 7.26. Starts with, you know, there's no cleaning up after other people. There's less laundry to do. You can do what you want to do when you want to do it. You can eat what you want when you want to eat it. I'm thinking ice cream for dinner. Can I get an amen? Exactly. So I'm sorry, wrong list. But singleness does have its advantages because what Paul says is that singles are better able to cope with troubles. Paul recommended singleness in times of challenging circumstances. He says, 
Because of the present crisis, I think it is best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you get married, it's not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles. And I'm trying to spare you those troubles. Now, in that present time when Paul was talking, what was happening in Corinth um, and pretty much all of the Roman Empire was they were suffering from a famine. But what I appreciate about this is Paul makes a clarification to those who are married, and here's what he says, that if you are married and trouble comes, this is not your excuse to cut and run. But the singles, he continues to say that you are better off single because it is easier to handle the everyday issues and crises that we face in this world. How's that for perspective? Certainly infers that singles are not half of a whole. Now I know I'm hearing you saying there's no famine here. I mean, we could all stand to lose a few pounds. That's okay, there's no famine. I get that, but but we have just as many troubles in the modern day that we face. There's life stresses, there's crazy busyness, there's financial difficulties, there's materialism, there's unstable employment, there's the unstable economy, pressures to marry, you get the picture. Another advantage of being single is that single people can prioritize better. Paul tells us that singles are better able to maintain spiritual priorities. He is telling us that life here on earth is fleeting. This lifetime is temporary, as are the things of this world. He says in verse 29, but let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of this world should not become attached to them, for this world as we know it will soon pass away. You see, our priorities, married or single, need to be on the important things of life, those things that are gonna last into eternity. Paul is reminding us that we spend a whole lot longer in eternity than we do here on earth. The third advantage of being single, Paul tells us, is that singles have fewer distractions. He says in verse 32, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife, smart man. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or who has never been married can be devoted to the Lord wholly in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I hear Al back there saying, amen. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you, Paul says. He says, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. So Paul's example of singleness shows us that singleness has many clear advantages. 
better able to cope with troubles, better at maintaining spiritual priorities and having fewer distractions, and that being single is not lacking. The Bible also shows us some other things about singleness. It shows us that singles are in good company and also that singles need good company. The Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, are filled with examples of single people in Scripture. We have Paul that we were just talking about. Uh, We have Daniel, which I'm sure you're familiar with, his feet in the lion's den. Everyone knows Daniel. We've got Shackrack and Benny for all those who are VeggieTale listeners. Uh, Also, we have a woman, Lydia, who was a wealthy business owner in the church of Corinth. Let's not forget John the Baptist. No, wait, no, no. Let's forget John the Baptist. I forgot. He had like that whole camel hair thing going on and bugs in his teeth. Uh, I think he was lacking some social, you know, cues. So let's just forget about him. But what you can see is that the examples are plentiful. But the absolute best example of single life in scripture is the life of Jesus. Jesus was the most powerful example. He knew the advantages of being single and quite honestly, I think Jesus rocked a single life. But what I also appreciate about his life is that he had faced many of the challenges of being single. He knew the awkwardness of showing up at a wedding without a date. All right, although he brings along his buds uh, and said he rolls in with Peter, James, and John. I'm not sure how he secured that uh, invitation, but scripture did say that those guys had invites, so that's okay. Jesus dealt with human temptation of every kind as a single person. He understood the struggles that singles face, and it's clearly stated in Hebrews 4, 15. He says, for we do not have a high priest who was unable to empathize with our weakness, But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus knew what it was like to deal with the crises of life. He knew what it was like to lose a very good friend. He felt the sting of betrayal from another friend. Jesus spent his whole life as a single individual, and I think He gives us great insight on how it needs to be done. Take a look at what his life reveals to us about singleness. You see, scripture records Jesus as having three very close friends, Peter, James, and John. They went everywhere with him, including uh, his date for the wedding. Bible also shows him having nine real close friends, or eight. Get rid of Judas for obvious reasons. He had a bunch of other close friends as well, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But the one thing that I appreciate most in his example of singleness is that he shows us what to do when we find ourselves in despair. You see, when he was in the darkest moment of his life, when he found himself in the garden of Gethsemane, it was only in his heavenly father that he turned to find the depth of comfort that he needed, as will you, as will I. Jesus knew the struggles of single life. He understood the loneliness that singles often face, and because of it, he modeled the necessity of having both community and family connectedness in our lives. You see, from creation in Genesis to the end all in Revelation, we as human beings were made for community. Look around this room. This 
This is the community. And we need to realize that authentic community is holistic and it encompasses every stage of life. Not only is community important, but so is family. And let me clarify, because see, family doesn't necessarily mean the one that you were born into or adopted into. We, we didn't get to pick those ones, and I know some of you are thinking, yeah, that's for sure. But Jesus considered his family to be those who hear God's word and put it into practice. You see, this, this is the family of Christ. You were not born into this family without choice. Many of you made a decision to become a part of it. And I, for one, am pretty glad. I thank God for having you in my life. And some of you out there, well, we're still patiently waiting. It's okay, we'll wait. So what does all this mean? Let's, let's wrap this up for you. What does all this mean for us across the table? How does all of this stretch us, marrieds and singles alike? This is how it stretches. For those of you who are married in the room, we need to accept the legitimacy of singleness because the Bible sure does. We need to stop acting like our single friends, our family, our unfinished business, they're not. And another thing that we as marriage need to take responsibility for is that you see, we need each other. Marriage needs singles and singles need marriage. We are the family and the community that functions as a whole. To those who are married, can I just ask you, you know what one of the loneliest times for a single person is? Sunday after church. You know why? Because see, all of you will take your little families and you'll go off and you know, you'll go have lunch. And the single person is like, yeah, okay, I guess I'll go home and uh, take it out. So can I just ask you, invite a single person out to lunch with you. You don't have to pick up the tab. It would be nice, but you don't have to pick up the tab. But... Invite the single person out to lunch with you. And you know what? Single people need help with things. You see, they have furniture on the second floor that needs to be moved down to the first floor. They have mulch, big piles of mulch in their yard that need attention as well. They need help. It is our responsibility as married people to come alongside and say, hey, you know what? Bringing the family over, we'll come and we'll do that for you. And to the singles... I want you to hear this. You are not half of a whole. You are of great value to your heavenly father and without doubt to the community of believers. And marriage, marriage won't make you happy. You see, you will only find completeness in Jesus. The truth is that none of us in this room, either single married, divorced, widowed, will ever be complete without a relationship with Jesus. We've learned from examples today that being single has many advantages. You need to use those advantages wisely and don't waste it on the things that have no eternal significance. And for all of us, we need each other. Singles need people who are married in their lives and married people need people who are single in theirs because singles bring great worth, insight, and value into the relationship. 
Some of my closest friends are single or single again. And honestly, I can't imagine my life without them. So I want to end this time together with this statement. Being single is not half of a whole, but a community without a single is half a community. I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and I'm going to ask you if you would to bow your heads, and we're going to move into a time of worship, and I want to give you opportunity to talk to Jesus. Would you bow your heads, please? I wonder if there are some in this room today that find themselves struggling to feel valued because in their minds or because society has made them feel half a whole or incomplete. My prayer for you today is that you come to the realization that you are of great worth. Your value of a person is not found in a particular relationship that you are in or not in, but your value and your worth is found in Christ and Christ alone. He and only he completes you. Maybe you're a single person and God has been trying to get your attention. You see, he has some things for you to do that he's called you to do, but somehow you're all caught up in focusing on the temporary things of this world. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you realize, you know what? You are alone. That you are not in community and maybe God is stretching you out of your comfort zone to seek that community to put yourself out there to take a step and to become a part of this loving community maybe you're listening today and you're married and you're saying wow you know I guess I guess I never viewed singleness in that light my prayer for you is this that this with this new insight and this realization that you will be the family and the community to the single people of the church. Your family is the spiritual family. Your family is the community. God has calling you to be stretched beyond yourself and your family to include others. And finally, I'm wondering if there are some here today who are single or married, divorced, widowed. And you're listening today and you're thinking, you know, something is missing. Something is missing in my life. And, you know, I just, I can't quite put a finger on it. Nothing seems to satisfy you. There's this sense of discontentment. May I offer you this, the one, the only person, the only relationship that will complete you and satisfy you like nothing else can, that would be this day to invite Jesus into your life. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the realization that we are valued by you. I thank you for the purpose that you have given each of us. I thank you for the reminder that we will never find completeness in anybody 
or anything but you. This morning I ask, you stand, let's worship. Let's worship God. Let's spend some time alone with Jesus. Father, I ask that your presence would be felt in this place and that you and only you would complete us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.